Good evening. It is absolutely wonderful and at the same time not so wonderful to see you all tonight. Let me tell you what I mean by that. <laughs> it is an absolute blessing to stand before the congregation here at Oak Ridge. So many wonderful brethren that have taken us into their hearts, into their homes, into their lives. We've been very blessed by that. Very blessed tonight by all of our all of our guests and visitors. I almost say, said gizitors. Um, all of our guests and visitors. Uh, some of you see you back from uh, this past Lord's Day, and others have come back to join us that were here last year. We're very blessed by your presence. But the reason that tonight is not so sweet is this is the last evening for another year that Karen and I get to share in the sweet fellowship over here in Mississippi with you folks. And uh, the last night of the meeting is always kind of a, a bittersweet thing, but we appreciate y'all. We have come to love you folks very much and you hold a special place in our hearts. And I don't just say that. Um, so, appreciate you being here tonight. Tonight we wrap up our gospel meeting talking about God's loving grace and provision by the numbers. And we're going to talk about something tonight that is infinite. In case you can't guess by all the songs, we're going to be talking about heaven. How beautiful heaven must be. When I think of that song, I think of the fact that in six days... God created the heavens and the earth. Six days. And in my mind, I always think, wow, he did all this in six days. And when Jesus was getting ready to go back to heaven, he said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's been nearly 2,000 years so far working on that place. And to me, that is just incredible. And, and I don't know, I, I don't have anything really to say, well, you know, I, can, I know he can just speak it into existence, but I'm not sure, I've got to put it in my mind somehow, I'm not sure we can get around in our minds how beautiful heaven must be. It must. And, you know, so many things, and we've talked about them in the announcements, and we've talked about them all this week. So many things here bring us pain. So many things here break our hearts. And you know what? So many of those things, all of those things that break our hearts, they're not going to be in heaven. They're not going to be up there. In Revelation, and I'm going to ask you to do something that preachers shouldn't ever ask you to do. But I'm going to ask you for just a minute to keep your Bibles closed. We'll get to the text momentarily. I have the text. I've got it typed out word for word from the New King James Version. I just want to read to you several short sections of Scripture. And I want you to let these roll over your mind. I want you to try to get your mind around them. They're all from Revelation. John, in the Revelation, gave us several snapshots of the beauty of heaven. And sometimes when we, we turn and read them necessarily, we're busy fumbling through the pages and, and reading them and following along. We don't really focus on them. But tonight, just take a minute and let these sink into your mind. Praise God for the things that will and won't be found in heaven. One snapshot. John said in Revelation 21, verses 22 and 3, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. How beautiful heaven must be. 
Revelation 22 and verse 3 says, There shall be no more curse. Verse 5 goes on to echo that when it says, There shall be no night there. They shall need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign with him forever and ever. Revelation 21 verse 27 says, There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We get together from several different congregations. We have good fellowship. And the singing tonight just bless me. Okay, And we get together and we have that fellowship and that singing. When we get to that city, when we get to that place, the only people that are going to be there are going to be Christians. Can you imagine what singing is going to be like when all the brethren come together from all the ages, from all time, from all the churches? Can you imagine what singing is going to be like? It's going to be awesome because they're going to be the only ones there. And finally, Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 says, God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. Amen. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain. A world without pain, a world without tears, a world without sorrow. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I want you to just languish over that for a moment. There'll be no more tears or death or crying or sorrow. You know what? There'll be no more school shootings in heaven. There'll be no more terrorist attacks. There will be no more needless paranoia. There'll be no more watching the evening news and seeing all of those brutal stories of sin. There'll be no more aborting or abusing or abandoning of children when we get to heaven. There will be no more homeless teenagers, no more drug addicts. There'll be no more senior citizens living on the streets. There'll be no more senior citizens, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, because of the time thing, but we'll get to that. There'll be no more hospitals. There'll be no more cancer wards. There'll be no more nursing homes. There'll be no more funeral homes. There'll be no more correctional facilities. There'll be no more canes, or walkers, or oxygen machines, or drug companies. There'll be no further need of painkillers or doctor's appointments or prayer lists or prison cells or protective orders. How beautiful heaven must be. Now would you please open your Bible and let's look at that one of those passages again. The last one that I referred to, Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 3, just to validate and verify one more time. Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 3 and going down through verse 5, says this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I asked you something similar to this earlier in this meeting. Was the Bible true when it was written? Is the Bible still true today? Does that verse still mean exactly what it says? There will be no more 
death, verse 4, God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He wanted him to know that these words he could take to the grave and beyond. You can count on this. How beautiful heaven must be. But tonight... Knowing all of that, I want us to think about something else that won't be in heaven. As hard as it might be to imagine to have a place as beautiful as heaven, not having a lot of those things I just mentioned, there's something else that's not going to exist in heaven. Something that may be even harder to get our minds around. And that is time. I want you to think about that. There will be no time in heaven. Everything we do, every second we spend, when we go home and go to sleep tonight and wake up tomorrow, everything is governed by time in our lives. Those of us, all of us, are getting older every day and we know the effects of time, right? You buy a new car, 10 years down the road, don't look like a new car anymore. Everything ages. Everything in our world is governed by time and it's hard for us to even begin to comprehend a world where time does not exist. But what I want for us to understand is that God operates in a world that is totally above and beyond the reach of time. God lives in a world in the spiritual realm where time, either as a concept or a reality, just simply isn't there. It doesn't exist. Wherein we live in a world where time governs everything and affects everything, God lives in a world where time affects nothing. Now, I'm not sure that we can get our minds around that. And I want you to really try tonight because if we can get our minds around that concept, it's going to make a lot of scriptures about a lot of things maybe take on a more intense meaning. So, I'm no expert on it. But again, I want you to think about it because I think if we can get our minds around this idea of the fact that time doesn't pass or exist in heaven, that time is a, a creation of God for His earthly creation... It's going to make us appreciate God's grace a lot more. And you'll see what I mean when we get there. But in case you maybe have never heard this before or thought about it before, I wouldn't say it if I couldn't back it up scripturally. The first thing that we need to try to understand is that time has not always existed. Time has not always existed. Time, according to the scriptures, had a very definite beginning just like that of the rest of physical creation. Did you know that? The Bible specifically tells us, indicates to us, that time did not always exist. Open with me tonight in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And again, in the short three hours I have to preach, whoops, in the short few minutes I have to preach tonight, we cannot completely cover this, but I think I can give you enough of a basis of this so that our appreciation of God's grace may grow even greater. 2 Timothy 1, again, first point, time had a beginning. 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul writes, 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, 
who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own, watch this, his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I got that highlighted in my Bible. Before time began, before time started, before time was created. The Bible indeed bears that out, not once, but twice, as we'll see in a moment. You've heard me in this meeting, for those of you that have been here for every session, you've heard me several times refer to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 and Ephesians chapter 3, 8 through 11, where it talks about God had a plan in place before the foundation of the world. Okay? This is that idea that before God created the world and time to govern this world, there was something prior to that. Turn to me to Titus, just a book forward, a few pages forward. Again, time had a definite beginning point prior to which it did not pass or exist. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope, we talked about that in our Bible class Sunday morning, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised when? Before time began. Time had a definite beginning point prior to which it did not exist. We've seen that in two passages. When did time begin? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's when time began. There was a beginning point. Genesis 1.1 is the account of and point at which time began. Now, prior to Genesis 1.1, where God brought time into existence creating it as a means to govern and measure events in the physical world he had created, created, time didn't exist. It didn't pass. It wasn't wasted. All of those things. This is why we sometimes have such a hard time trying to convince an atheist about God. Because they will say, but who was there before God? Well, they're thinking in terms of the fact that there was a that time existed before God. Time didn't. God created time. It's hard for us to get our minds around, but there wasn't anything before God. We say, well, where did God come from? God has always been. Because he's not governed by time. Time doesn't pass for God. He created it to help his creation. Now, the spiritual realm is still not governed or tainted or touched by the passing of time. I want to give you several verses that will show us that God indeed operates in a realm above time, even though everything for us is governed by it. Let me give you several. 2 Peter chapter 3 is the first one. 2 Peter chapter 3, very familiar passage. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Look what it says. It says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years like a day. What does that mean? It simply means this. To God, time doesn't exist, because God is eternal. 
another one. And I'll just mention this one briefly rather than turning to it because we've already discussed it at length in a prior session. But in Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 where God spoke to Moses and Moses says, well, when I ask them who sent me, God says, tell them what? I am. What does I am mean? It means that when Moses told them, then God existed, right? Is he still the great I am today? Yes, he is. He still exists. If this world turns another 10,000 years under the auspices of time passing, will God still be just as present and just as powerful and just as magnificent? Yes. Time does not exist for God. God does not get old. We see these depictions sometimes of, you know... People trying to, to draw pictures of God and they'll draw this really old guy with a long white beard and, you know, more, a lot more hair than I've got. But God isn't governed by time. And he never has been. This is the same thing that Jesus tried to get across to the Jews in John 8, 56 through 58. John 8, verses 56 through 58. It's so hard for us because everything around us is governed by time to get a hold of this. But it makes God's forgiveness all the much more special, as we'll see at the end of this lesson. John 8, 56 through 58. Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? What are they thinking? They're thinking in terms of time. We measure our lives by our birthdays, right? You get to a certain age, you retire. You get to a certain age, you get your driver's license. You get to a certain age, you retire. You get to a certain age, you do this, you do that, you do something else. They said, look, you're, you're, only, you're not yet 50 years old. They're saying, aha, we're going to measure this by time. Subconsciously, of course, because we all do it. And Jesus tried to explain to them, time has nothing to do with this. He says... Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, Abraham being physical, being a human being governed by time, before Abraham was, I am. God is present all the time. God is present before time. God will be present after time. And God is present during time. Did you ever think about this? Even Satan... <coughs> Don't have to shake you up, just think about it. Even Satan is not bound by the constraints of time in the spiritual world. How do I know that? Luke 4 and verse 5 says, Oh, I love to hear those Bibles turn. I'll wait. I had printed it out for me, but I'll wait. Because I want you to see this. It, it, time does not seem to, to govern Satan either. The spiritual world. Luke 4 and verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Showed him all the kingdoms in a single moment. How do you do that if you're governed by time? How can you take kingdoms from all over the place, bring them all together, all the past kingdoms, future kingdoms, well you can't unless time really doesn't mean much to you. Think, just, just process that. I also want to take you to a number of passages that do this. They point out, on the one hand, that we are governed by time, the aging process, and all of those things that are related to time. But within that same text, you will see that our heavenly reward and everything going on for us up in heaven is not governed. You'll see that contrast between the two. And we, we read right through some of these, and there's a whole bunch of them, but I'm only going to share a few with you tonight. Turn to the first one of 2 Corinthians 4. 
And again, we could list many. I had to be very selective. But as you go home and you study your Bibles from here on out, take a few minutes and just sit down one day and begin looking for some of these key words and ideas to show that God often in the Bible contrasts our timed earthly existence with a place where time does not exist. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward, me inward man is being renewed day by day. The physical man, day by day. Time measurement. Time exists for man. Okay? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. A moment is a measure of time. We measure things in time. Is working for us a far more exceeding and what? Eternal weight of glory. Eternity is beyond time. That eternal weight of glory is waiting in heaven. In the spiritual realms, it's eternity. Time, do it doesn't go by day by day there. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and like a thousand years is like a day. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. That is, they're marked by the passing of time. All of them's going to come to an end at some point. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. They're above the ravages of time. Time cannot touch them. Aren't you glad, as you look at some of the struggles going on in your lives, as I look at the struggles going on in my life, and some of these terrible things that come up, aren't you glad to know that compared to eternity, compared to eternity, they're for a moment and someday they're going to end. And I have an eternal reward in heaven that's never going to end. Time can't touch it. Nothing can take it away. I can walk away from it. Yes, I can surrender my salvation. But what I'm saying, Jesus told us to what? Store up our treasure in heaven where what? Moth and rust, thieves can't get to it, right? Nothing can affect it. The passing of time can't affect it. And I am so grateful that while I'm here and I struggle to get my mind around some of the cruelties this old world throws at me, that you know what? As a Christian, I have a promise that I have a place that I'm going by the grace of God, ain't a soul going to get to heaven except by the grace of God. And I'm going to get there, and when I get there, all of these problems that were governed by time are going to be left behind me, and I'm going to be in a place where time doesn't exist, where the eternal blessings of God are there for me. Let me get, take you to another passage, 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll see this contrast again between the earthly, the momentary, the struggles, and the eternal beauty of what we've got waiting. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Watch this. To an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven. My inheritance in heaven is not going to fade away. Why? Because time can't touch it. It's not, like, it's not like a new car that you buy. It's not like a new house that you buy. It's not like some treasure that you have that, that time and rust and thieves and, and the passing of time causes it to decay. In heaven it's not like that. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it'll never fade away reserved in heaven for you. Timeless, 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Because we're here, that salvation will be revealed in the last time. See, down here, time exists. Up there, it does not. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you're still here, it's governed by time, a little while is a measure of time, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials in order to test your faith. Look in this same chapter in verses 17 through 20. It says there, If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Notice that. The time of your stay here. Because here is governed by time. So that time that you're here... Be careful, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Again, there was a time before the foundation of the world as contrasted to the time that we're in the world. You'll see this contrast again and again. Let me take you to one more. Turn to me to chapter 5 of this same epistle. Watch the contrast between time here and the grief we have to undergo some days here because it's measured in time versus the eternal blessings that time cannot touch. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6 Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Folks when we get to heaven we ain't going to have literally a care in the world because we ain't going to be in the world but we're not going to have a care up there. But he says cast all your care on him that he may exalt you in due time. In other words, these cares you have here is connected to time. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Again, in the world is tied to cares, is tied to time. But, watch the contrast. Verse 10. May the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while here, I know the word here is not there, but it's connected to the struggles here, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion. How long? Forever and ever. Time doesn't exist. It's not going to stop. It's not going to end. And when I stop and really get my, try to get my mind around this, it gives me hope to know that even the worst of struggles that I have to endure on this planet are going to come to an end. They're governed by time. And there will come that time when I am released from this body and I'm released from the realm of time and I have this eternal home in heaven with God and nothing can touch it. Time can't rot it. Time can't destroy it. Time can't affect it. It's always there and it's always waiting. And I'll always enjoy it. I won't have to say, well, you know, in 100 billion years, I, uh, you know, I got to think about retirement from the. No, <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's there. Now, when we begin to get this into our heads, this idea, it affects the way we look at a lot of verses. For example, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. It was written to earthly people, so they put it in time frames. Today and forever. But that makes more sense when you understand that Jesus is not governed by time. Of course he's always going to be the same because the snap of a finger is like 10,000 years to him. And if you're going to change the snap of a finger, he's not going to change over 10,000 years. doesn't pass for him. Of course he's going to be the same. He's always the same because it's always the same time. Time doesn't affect him. You know, I've heard it said before that people think, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he was really mean. Look what he did to those people. But boy, we got a much better God in the New Testament. Folks, God hadn't changed. Malachi 3 and verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. Okay? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, the point that I'm making here is simply this. It's the same God, it's the same Christ, and he's never going to change. If this world turns another 10,000 years, Jesus Christ is going to be that same awesome Savior that he's always been. Why? Because time hasn't affected him. He can be the same 10,000 years as he is today, because to him it's the same thing. Time doesn't pass. Think about this. Psalm 119, verse 89, in the English Standard Version, tells us that the Lord's word forever, O Lord, your word, I'm sorry, your word, O Lord, is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. Okay? God's word does not change. It is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. Well, that makes perfect sense. Because, you see, a lot of people today want to tell us that, well, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. And I realize the church back then baptized, and I realize they didn't have instruments, and I get that, but it's a different time today. How many of you have heard something similar to that? It's a different time. You know, we're different people, and we need to change, you know, some of this stuff, and we need to kind of get up into the, into the new world, as it were. Folks, i got to tell you something, and I'm going to tell you. I don't have this in my notes. I don't have a smartphone, okay? I have a dumb phone. I have an old flip phone, okay? All I can do is call people on it. I can take a few very rustic pictures, but that's about the extent of it, okay? But it's a phone. If I want to call you, I'll call you. If I don't want to call you, I don't need a phone anyway, right? But I don't have a smartphone. I don't want a smartphone, okay? I'm what I call a dinosaur by design, and I intend to keep it that way because I'm very comfortable with my smartphone, with my dumb phone. I don't want a phone that's smarter than I am, and I've still got one that's a little bit, a bit smarter, but not a whole bunch, okay? But here's the thing. We have to remember that because God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens, that when God said something like, baptism doth now save you in the first century, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, that's as binding today as it was 2,000 years ago because it hasn't been 2,000 years past in God's mind between the giving of the command and our obeying it. Does that make sense to everybody? When we read about the church, okay, we read about this, this plan that God had in place. Again, Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. We talk about this plan that God had in place for the church. We say, well, you know, we got all these churches and all these people doing these, these awesome things. And, you know, we ought to just lighten up a little bit. And we ought to just tolerate all these different religions and everything. Folks, I got to tell you something. God hasn't changed his mind since the day of Pentecost. Sometimes as parents and grandparents, over time, if our kids stay after us enough, we'll, we'll relent and change, change our mind. Even if we don't change our mind, we'll change what we do. Okay? God's not like that because, listen, get, get, get this. 
the terms of admittance into the Lord's Church that Peter laid out on the day of Pentecost, which we see in Acts 2, that every one of us needs to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, those words, to enter His church, are just as fresh in God's mind as if He said them this past Sunday. Do you see what I'm saying? Time hasn't changed. Things haven't changed for God. That command that we need to be baptized to get into Christ is just as valid as if Peter preached them from that pulpit this past Sunday. Because 2,000 years hasn't passed for God. God's always the same. That's why God's Word's always the same. That's why God's church is always the same. And we got, we've really got to get a hold of that, and we've got to find a way to explain that to people. If you told me two days ago something very, very, very important, it should still be fresh in my mind tonight, right? Not like you told me 2,000 years ago, or even for me, maybe two weeks ago, because my memory's not that good. But God's commands are just as valid and just as clear in his mind as the day he gave them, because to him it is the day he gave them, because we're measuring it in days and years and millennia, and they haven't passed for God, because he he's not subject to that now. Here's something that's terribly scary about that, though. Here's the other side of the coin for just a couple of minutes. And that's this. That is the ever-present appearance and nature of the absolute ugliness of each and every one of our personal sins. Those are before God as if we just committed them. If we're not forgiven of them, which I'll get to in a minute. Okay, don't get me wrong. But you know, sometimes when we do something bad, something we regret, something that, man, I wish I hadn't said that, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, over time, as time goes by, we go to work in the morning, we go to school, we do this, we do that. Life goes on, time passes, year goes by, two years go by. It's not as fresh in our mind, right? Is that, is that fair to say? We kind of work past it and say, well, you know, maybe it's not that big a deal, you know, I, I've, I've gotten past it. God operating in a realm above time and God having an absolute abhorrence for sin, our sins, even if they happened 30 years ago, are just as fresh in God's mind as if we just committed them. Because time hasn't affected them. Now that's pretty scary. Say, well, how would you, how would you back that up? Psalm 25 and verse 7, David said, Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. There is a punchline to this sermon that I want everybody to get. If you're taking notes, please write it down. The passage of time neither negates, neutralizes, nor washes away anyone's sins. Only the blood of Christ can ever accomplish that. Time doesn't dull the ugliness of our sin before God, because for Him, time doesn't pass from the time we did it. And, you know, I've heard stories about 
some guy years ago who, and I can't tell you who, it might even be one of the, just one of those preacher stories, you know, but guy supposedly uh, got his life a mess, uh, got into a terrible sinful situation, walked away from the church, um, comes back years later, nobody's really familiar with what he'd done, everybody's pretty much forgot it, he kind of comes back, sits in the back row, starts moving forward, time goes by, the church kind of accepts him, he, he speaks up in Bible class, this, that, one thing, another. Eventually he became an elder or deacon or something high up in the church, and he heard a sermon and he realized that he had never truly repented and asked the church for forgiveness for what he had done. But you see, sometimes we kind of let things slide after a while, but to God our sins are always before Him and ugly. And brethren, that's what makes God's grace so amazing. Because when God washes away our sins... He washes away all of that being right before Him, all of the intensity of each one, all of the ugliness of each one, all of the abhorrence of each one that is sitting right in front of a holy God. That's what makes one thing amongst millions that makes His grace so special because God in His grace says, you know what? Slate's clean. Isn't God awesome? Isn't God awesome? I want to take you to a couple of passages. Romans chapter 4. I'll show you how awesome God is. Of course, it would take me more lifetimes than I have, but we'll touch up against it tonight. Romans chapter 4. I'm so grateful to be a Christian. Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. If one sin was enough to keep Adam and Eve out of the garden, get them kicked out, if one sin was enough to make sure Moses did not enter the promised land, one sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. We, we understand that. We've been through that before in this meeting. Okay. And if every one of my sins that I have ever committed in my entire life is just as fresh in God's mind as if I had just gotten done doing them. I don't want to have to face God with that on Judgment Day, do you? I don't want to have to face God with that. And that's what makes His grace so amazing. God says, you know what? It's right there before me, but I'm going to take it all. And I'm going to wash it away. All you've got to do is accept my gift. You've got to accept through my son's obedience this gift. And I will be with you. I will pick you up. I will love you. I will instruct you. I will hold you. I'll make you more than conqueror, Romans chapter 8. And so we need to trust him just like Abraham did here in verses 20 and 21 of Romans 4. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I am so grateful tonight that I have a God who I can trust when he says, I'll remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. I will blot out every sin and transgression. I'll write your name in my son's book of life. I'll take every one of those ugly things that is sitting right in front of me your entire lifetime. I can't stand one of them, but I'll take them all and I'll put them underneath the blood of Jesus. There is nothing you will ever hear in your lifetime that can top that. There says in Revelation 21 and verse 27, as we get ready to conclude, 
They shall by no means enter it. Revelation 21, 27. They shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Neither time, nor countless good works, nor decades of church attendance, none of that stuff without contacting the blood of Christ in Christian baptism for the forgiveness of our sins will ever remove those sins. Ever. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every one according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What's Jesus saying? Time means nothing to me. John concluded in verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter into the gates of the city, or enter the gates into the city. As we prepare to leave you tonight, I just want you to really stop and thank God and appreciate the fact that whatever it is that you're going through, God will walk through the fire with you. He promised to make you more than conqueror. But no matter what you're going through, it's going to come to an end because it's governed by time. It may be this week. Maybe next month, maybe five years from now, maybe when you pass from this plane of existence. But there will come an end. And Paul said, our light and momentary afflictions are gaining for us an eternal weight of glory. Romans 8 and verse 18. And we're going to go to a place, if we are faithful in Christ Jesus, where there will be no crying God, it says, will wipe away every tear. And for all eternity, there will be no sorrow, no pain, and no death. I want to go there, don't you? If there's anybody in this room tonight who's not sure of your eternal salvation, John said in 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. That life is in His Son. If you're here tonight and you're not sure of where you would go, we'd love to study with you, we'd love to pray with you, we'd love to talk to you. If you're here tonight and you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Don't let time pass because I'll tell you this, even though our world is governed by time, you're not promised tomorrow. Had a lady in Cleveland. Wonderful Christian sister. She come to, she come to church one April morning. She come to worship one April morning. She met me at the door where I stand and I'm passing out bulletins and she gave me my hug like she always does. She took a bulletin and she's all smiley and all of this. She's my most faithful, one of the most faithful Christian women you would ever meet. Every time the doors are open, she's there. Been coming for decades. She comes in, she has we do the worship service, she sings, we, we everything just like we're doing tonight, right? She walked out of the church building, she got in a car, went home. She went to Tulsa that afternoon with her family for some event down there. Later on that night she started to get sick. And by midnight she was dead. They couldn't save her. The ambulance came to her house and she was not promised tomorrow. None of us are. Don't let time pass tonight if you have not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've done that, and you're, you know you're a child of God, but you struggle and you need the prayers, anything we can do, everybody struggles, brethren. 
Bible says the righteous prayers, uh, the effective prayers of a righteous man availeth much. We'll pray for you. Anything we can do to help you. But I'm telling you, eternity is going to be beautiful. Jesus is waiting for us in that beautiful land above time. Don't leave here tonight if you're not absolutely sure that's where you'd go if you don't have tomorrow. If you have a need, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?